Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Great form by you hitting play on this podcast. Now, check out Same Racer, the brand new racing app for Same Race multi-tips. Same Racer. Download from the App Store and Google Play. Powered by Bluebet. Gamble responsibly. Call 1-800-858-858. For logbook servicing you can rely on, you need to make the right choice. You need trained professionals who are fully qualified to service your car according to manufacturer's specifications. For real peace of mind and a nationwide warranty, book in or book online at repcoservice.com. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Morena, New Zealand, good morning to you all. It is uh, 9.03 here on SENZ, and for the next three hours, hope to keep you entertained. We've got uh, rugby to begin with. Uh, we're going to go down to uh, the Heartland competition. Uh, it st- starts this weekend, actually, so we're going to talk to the Wairapa Bush head coach, uh, Mark Rutney. Uh, on his side, they've got uh, an interesting game. They play in North Otago in Palmerston North, of all places. Interesting. Uh, Phil Jones, uh, around 9.30 this morning. Of course, uh, Tall Blacks, great. The Tall Blacks have flown to Japan for a national team prep camp, plus a pair of international friendlies before they have their uh, FIBA World Cup Asian qualifiers later this month. So uh, we'll talk to Phil. And, of course, the wash-up from the Sal's NBL, of course, where he was uh, courtside calling it all for us here on SENZ. We'll have talk-back time uh, around 10 o'clock this morning chance for you to get in and uh, weigh in on uh, a subject of your choice perhaps uh, Hamish Bidwell and James Regan will be the panel around 10.20 and, and after 11 o'clock uh, we're going to talk some golf with uh, our correspondent David uh, Bileski who gives us uh, all the best information, uh, the St Jude Championship winner of course was Will Zalatoris so what does that mean in terms of the structure of the FedEx playoffs now, we'll get uh, the inside info from David on that and of course uh, latest developments in terms of Live Golf and about quarter to 12 this morning, we'll catch up with uh, our friend and brother out of the West Coast, Andy Thompson, because he's got his Rural Roundup show just after 12 o'clock today. Sport is our religion, and here is Smithy's Sermon. Well, I well remember fellow commentator Scott Styrus coming into the com box a few years back and saying, T20 is the future, Test cricket is dying and might not be around for a whole lot longer. Scotty is prone to the odd prophecy, but this one may not be that far away because it's starting to become a reality at quite an alarming rate for the purists. And it is, and always will be, the purest form of the game, Test cricket. But it's in danger of losing its quality because the quality is pursuing faster, richer options. Hey, it's, uh, it's like the old Pantene shampoo ad. It won't happen overnight, but it will happen. Trent Bolt isn't the first and certainly won't be the last to choose the less committed way to make a big buck. It's not totally unlike LOV golf, actually, but it is in that all these T20 domestic leagues, which are collectively choking the cricketing calendar, are at this point sanctioned. They're sanctioned by the powers that be. Of course, the live golf is not. The IPL will always be Big Daddy. It has to be that way because it belongs to India. But this new Emirates version, stuck right in the middle of the Southern Hemisphere summer, will have plenty of teeth because the money won't run out. 
To be honest, the top lads can play 10 weeks cricket in two legs for a conservative 2 million US. Be away from home for three months max, hardly enough time for the lawns to get out of hand. I mean, why wouldn't you? Only because you rate test cricket. Like Jimmy Anderson, you regard as the highest honour. Remarkably about to run in with their new ball for his 173rd test match against South Africa in around 24 hours. But are the three Lions, the baggy green, the black cap going to hold that status for the years ahead? New Zealand is under threat, and as current World Test champions, I might add, not so much because we won't field a team and a useful one at that, it's more because the bigger nations won't find the windows to play us. The gaps are closing and the warning signs are there. In 10 years' time, what will Test cricket look like on a world scale? The profits are forecasting doom. Well, great news for Heartland Rugby fans, and there are a lot of them out there because uh, the competition starts this weekend in earnest. And uh, I'm pleased to say that uh, we've got uh, a head coach from uh, Wairapa Bush on the line, and uh, Mark Rutney and his side have a very uh, interesting uh, opening game because they play North Otago, um, but they're playing at Palmerston North at 7.05 on Sunday night, which is uh, just a little bit different. But uh, Mark joins us this morning, and we're thankful for his time. G'day, how, mate? How are you going? Okay, well, he's not quite there at the moment. So uh, there you go. That's a great start to the day, isn't it? Um, technology has let us down. We're desperately trying to get Mark Grutney back because um, I'm really looking forward to finding out about the, this level of rugby. We've had a taste of it, of course, haven't we, with two Shield Challenges, South Canterbury, and Poverty Bay, which have been fairly willing encounters. Uh, Wairapa Bush don't get a crack at the Shield at this stage of the competition because uh, it will stay within uh, the NPC ranks this time around. But uh, we'll continue um, to try and get hold of um, Mark Rutten and, and just get a little bit uh, deeper in terms of uh, where Wairapa Bush is at as a heartland uh, province and exactly where uh, they sit in terms of uh, what they're forecasting this year, where they drag their players from. Uh, do they pay their players? What kind of level are we at there? Bearing in mind, of course, there's some Silver Lake money coming in at some point, hopefully to filter down as far as Heartland Rugby and Club Rugby. So just uh, looking at uh, the guys trying to get uh, through. Uh, uh, again, it's, we'll uh, we'll talk to... Um, there's a, a busy weekend of, of rugby. Actually, Saturday, Sunday's quite interesting because uh, Manawatu play uh, Hawke's Bay. Uh, that's at uh, 4.35 on uh, Sunday afternoon. And then at uh, 7.05, as I say, North Otago visit Palmerston North. But so, in effect, do Wairapa Bush. They go over the pier to a track um, and probably uh, will uh, get to the ground about 4.30 and set up for a home game, as they say. No luck at this stage uh, getting uh, Mark Rutner on the line. Um, Mark, of course, has uh, been involved with uh, Ed, uh, the Wairapa Bush uh, union for a little while, but uh, he has a coaching structure which has... Uh, Jamie Williams as his assistant and Stan Wright as his scrum coach and uh, we're just hopeful trying to get him on the line playing the waiting game had uh, an absolute nightmare yesterday uh, with people coming and going and not being available after saying they would be and that of course is um, the obvious side of uh, radio that is uh, a little bit tough to handle from time to time however 
Uh, former NRL star Brett Finch has pleaded guilty to uh, sending child abuse material using an adult phone chat service. Finch was one of eight men arrested in late uh, 2021 as part of an investigation into an alleged child abuse material ring. Former State of Origin halfback pleaded guilty to one count of using a carriage service to transmit or publish child abuse material, while a further six charges were withdrawn by the prosecutors. His lawyer Paul McGurr told reporters outside his client was seeking treatment for mental health issues. Uh, Finch retired from the NRL at the end of 2013 season after 330 games for the Raiders, Rooster Storm and Wigan after making his debut in 1999. Detectives raided Finch's Sam Sushi home in December 2021, arresting him, seizing a mobile phone for forensic examination. At the time, police alleged members of The Ring expressed desires to engage sexual activities with children on an adult phone chat service. Finch will remain on bail and face court again in September. Okay, so uh, Logan, just uh, give me a little word on the air, please. Okay, right, uh, we've got, uh, instead of uh, having uh, Mark Rutney available to us, uh, we've got uh, the CEO of uh, Wairapa Bush instead, uh, Tony Hargood, who's available to us now. Good morning, Tony. Good morning. Apologies okay, uh, Mark, uh, I'm not quite sure, he's lost, he lost the transit somewhere. Okay, never mind. Um, oh, CEO, we're stepping up anyway, going to the CEO, because <laughs> you, can answer all these, you can answer all these questions as well. Uh, interesting start uh, to to the uh, the competition for you guys, North Otago and Palmerston North. Uh, is that because of TV requirements, or is that something you wanted? Uh, look, it's a combination of both. Actually, I think um, uh, you know Sky TV is now doing the uh, one game a week for the Heartland, which which is exciting. Um, but uh, a couple of years ago, North Otago hosted us at the Forsyth Bar down in Dunedin, um, and that was the ability to you know uh, have that game on Sky TV. Uh, so we, we, we owe them a, a, a favour, and that's what happens in Heartland. We sort of help each other. And, um, you know, matter with two and Hawks Bay are very close unions uh, for Wairapa, so it just sort of all seemed right right thing to do at the right time. Yeah, it does. It meshes in quite nicely, actually. I hope you get a, a good level of support. And uh, round two of the competition for, uh, for Wairapa Bush uh, is a, an away trip to Poverty Bay, which coincides with an exciting proposition, and that's uh, a challenge, a first-up challenge for the Bill Osborne Tonga Challenge uh, Shield. So tell us a wee bit about that. Oh, look, this is um, this is actually a wonderful concept. It's it's the yeah, um, the Ranfilly Shield of, of Heartland Rugby. Um, we we talked about it as CEOs for a very long time. Um, you know, to be able to honour someone like Bill Osborne, um, it's just a wonderful concept. Uh, we're really looking forward to it. Everyone is talking about it. Um, we've got a, a large contingent going up for there, and it's going to be a very, very special occasion. Uh, and you know, it's just going to be wonderful to be, you know, part of the first uh, first game uh, for for the uh, Tonga. Okay. Well, let's also look at um, a new innovation too, because um, and poverty pay people will associate closely with this. The Ian Kirkpatrick Medal, first time up this year for the Heartland Player of the Year. Yeah. Um, yeah. Once again, I just I just think what's happening now is people are recognising the value and what Heartland Rugby is for uh, within New Zealand. Um, rugby system and what it does for the community and to have um, again on a someone like Ian Kirkpatrick um, and I think you know the player that wins that um, 
will be, you know, really representative of, of what Heartland Rugby is about. You know, these are, you know, amateurs who, you know, doing their day jobs and getting it out there and doing it for the union. Um, and I just think it really embodies the whole Heartland ethos. And, um, you know, again, just really exciting, uh, wonderful, wonderful innovation. And, um, you know, there's, there's going to be some really wonderful rugby players who will be in that uh, mix. Just how amateur is Heartland Rugby? I mean, is there any remuneration at all? Are you able to provide for your players? I mean, like uh, allowances, etc., like that when they're away? What, what, what can you provide them with these days? Oh, well, look, I can categorically state there's no, no players are paid. Um, what we are allowed to do is reimburse them um, per game match. So, you know, um, we're about $125 and that sort of covers the travel and everything you know, during the week and um, uh, time away. Um, so, no, it's um, as, as amateur as you can get. Um, and, um, and, and they turn up and they want to be part of it. So, you know, um, money's not a driver, but pride and representing your province is, is huge in the heartland. OK, let's look at, can we look at the coaching structure that you've set up for this year, Tony, uh, headed by Mark? Yeah, no, it's great to have Mark. Mark's back on uh, a second year. wasn't uh, wasn't sort of the greatest year last year, but you know we can blame COVID and, and so forth. Um, bit of interruptions, but Mark's back in a huge amount of experience. Um, we've also got um, uh, Jamie Williams, who's uh, um, now living in the Wairapa. He was the ODU coach in Wellington, and um, our scrum coach um, Stan Wright, who um, you know, a very very long. Um, professional um, experience there and uh, he's doing some great stuff with our forwards um, uh, so that's, yeah, that's, that's our setup. Um, we're excited, they're excited they've had a good pre-season um, and um, 11 new faces for us this year so that's exciting as well Okay, I was going to ask you about the squad so um, how do you, 11 new faces so potential for a uh, 11 debutants throughout the season. Um, uh, so does that mean um, a lot less experience than last year or is, have you managed to retain a, a quite a healthy core? Well, I think a bit of, bit of both. We've, uh, James Goodger, who a lot of people know how rugby is, is back. He was been injured for the last couple of years and he'll be the captain and leader. Um, former New Zealand Heartland 15 player, um, Eddie Cranston. Um, so we've got about three or four older guys coming back with experience. So balance with a bit of youth. Um, it looks, you know, it looks very, very exciting. We've um, also got a, a just a, there's a core group of guys who are sort of, um, you know, probably got about 30 games under their belt. Um, and then we've got this year with uh, Inia Cartier. Uh, anyone that follows um, Heartland Rugby will know Inia. Um, he's going to be look like he's going to hit his 100 games this year as well. Uh, so much talking to. Yeah, we're talking to Tony Hargood, who is the CEO of uh, the Wairapa Bush Rugby Union. Uh, what's, your ca- what's your catchment area these days, Tony? How far do you sort of stretch south and north? Uh, so if anyone knows Wairapa, so we go way down to Nawi. Uh, Turangi is our most southern club, and right up to uh, Brett Harvey country and uh, Mike McCall and Andy Hill country up in um, Pongaroa, Pukatoi. Um and we're through a valley, so we don't go to the Tower Rose, but then we get out to the, the coast, the east coast, um, and down into Marnborough. So there's 12, uh, 12 clubs. Um, we've got about 2,500 two players. Um, and um, we've, we've had a lot of growth in our junior rugby this year. We are just actually talking about it um, at the board meeting, you know, about 20% growth in junior rugby. So 
Um, yeah, no, I think we're in a, in a very happy and positive space, uh, what's happening in, in the Wairapa bush. Well, yeah, that's great news, Tony, because uh, that kind of goes against the grain of a lot of areas that tend to, uh, to, tend to be saying that they're struggling for numbers, particularly around that secondary school leaving age through to Colts rugby. How are you set up in that, that kind of thing club-wise? Uh, yeah, so we're, we're, we're quite fortunate. We're the only um, Heartland union that actually has its own um, secondary school competition. So our under-15 grade and our local, local, local first 15 grade uh, play on the Saturday and Wednesday night. So we've got the uh, artificial turf and the light. So we're able to sort of mix up. You know, we don't play the traditional Saturdays. We play midweek. Um, so our numbers in secondary schools have been it's fairly flat over the last um, four or five years. Uh, there is there is a bit of a drop off uh, into that when it goes to the club scene. Um, I guess the big thing for us is what we're just noticing is just more around the, the adult rugby side. Um, you know, there's been a lot happening in the in the country, as you will know. Uh, so some people are just you know deciding you know work and family are really important, and we support that. I think it'll bounce back. I'm actually quite confident it will bounce back over the next couple of years. But um, yeah, there's a couple of headwinds. But just from the war app, and now we're we're feeling really really positive, and um, the initiatives we've put in place are showing rewards. And women's rugby has just boomed. We've just boomed here. It's uh, incredible. So we've gone from zero rep teams to uh, two. Uh, we've got a uh, women's team that plays in the Metal Two competition, and that's all been in the space of eighteen months. So. Um, and we're looking for more. Uh, we'll looking, probably have a local club competition in the next um, two years, two seasons. So, um, yeah, exciting times for them. That is uh, that is phenomenally good news. Um, I, I, I always look at uh, Wairapa Bush because uh, I'm an ex Central Districts guy, and and of course, uh, you know, when yeah. we play Wairapa Bush, a lot of the, a lot of the times you drive, <clears throat> of course. But of course, when you're playing Heartland Rugby. Uh, most sides uh, have airports uh, pretty close by. You, you don't. Um, you, you have to make uh, the no. ultimate sacrifice. Your travel uh, rosters, your travel schedules um, are quite extreme in some cases. Yeah, so um, yeah, so the guys have to you know, go to Wellington, hop on a plane, fly to Gisborne, or you know, if we go to Thames Valley, uh, fly to Auckland, then hop on a bus, go down. So um, yeah, it's a 12-hour it's, it's uh, day for them. Um, and um, they're normally getting home at you know, um, midnight or one o'clock in the morning. Uh, we look after them once they hit town, obviously, um, before they go home. But um, yeah, so yeah, it's a day's travelling for each game. Um, it's only really Levin and Whanganui that um, we, we we get the day trip, if you know what I mean. Um, mm-hmm. But no, it's planes, trains, and automobiles. Okay, uh, let's uh, also have a look at the... Do they still have a loan player system um, to a large degree in Heartland Rugby? I mean, your policy, I'd imagine, is local growth? Yeah, so we, uh, we, we, we've gone with a, a local player of, or, um, player of origin. So you're allowed three loan players um, and one player of origin. So about four or five years ago, um, we um, looked at our loan players being our players of origin, uh, as our first choice, and only if there was um, no one round that could fit, you know, a certain position, uh, we, we would take a loan player. So just this is the first year that we'll actually be looking at uh, a genuine loan player, uh, and uh, really uh, we, we lost our three frontline hookers, so you can't really chuck a, an experienced person into that space. Uh, so we're building up that. We've got some young guys. So um, yeah, 
three loan players, player of origin, our first choice is players, players of origin to cover those three loan areas. Um, and then, we, of course, we okay. lose... Uh, we, yeah. Yeah. yeah, then we also have the NPC side to who take our promising players and, and you know, give them a shot, which we're really excited about. We, we see no issue with that. But, so we've got, you know, Sam Smith, Hawks Bay, Lewis Bush is up there on the edges, Isaac Braceville. Um, so, yeah, no, there's plenty of... Um, Plenty of opportunities for guys to grow from the heartland years. We're talking to uh, Tony Hargood, who is the uh, CEO of uh, Warrapa Bush Rugby. Quite enlightening for me to find out uh, a lot of the stuff. Actually, what does uh, like what does this week look like then from a Warrapa Bush uh, top side perspective, training wise, um, travel wise, etc. I mean, you know, the commitment that, that some of these guys have just to get to training, etc. Yeah, so I think um, I think the furthest guy goes is a round trip around about I think it's about two hundred kilometres. Um, so it's just your normal classic Tuesday Thursday night training, um, and then um, this uh, particular game on a Sunday. So they'll um, I think they they have a, a late lunch about three o'clock. I'll hop on the bus and drive over to Palmerston. Um, but if it was, if we take the the Gisborne game, the Poverty Bay game, um, they will effectively take the day off work on the Friday, uh, travel to fly to Gisborne, um, settle into the day, captain's run and game on Saturday, and then fly back Sunday. So of course, that's the about ultimate three, that's about three days. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah I'll tell you, it's, it's about three days of the week, which is awesome. Which is absolutely awesome. Yeah, it is actually also great for team building, I would imagine, as, as well. Uh, of course, there are two great prizes available or available up for grabs um, when it comes to Heartland Rugby. We've mentioned uh, Bill Osborne uh, Tonga Challenge, the Ian Kirkpatrick Medal, but the two trophies, of course, are the Colin Meads and Brian Lahore mm. trophies or cups. Yeah. Uh, I would imagine the legend of uh, BJ Brian Lahore uh, still is very prominent uh, around Wairarapa Bush Rugby, and to put your name uh, engraved on that cup would be something special each time. Oh yeah, so um, the, I mean, they they are you know they are Heartland Rugby. It's where they made their names through King Country and Warrapa Bush. Um, they um, both cups are, are really treasured. Um, I just know you know talking with my other peers and CEOs, you know, we all want to win one of them. Um, just a lot of pride in it, uh, and it means a lot. So. Um, with BJ, um, you know, it's great to have um, his name on, on one of the trophies. He's, he's from here. He had, he had enormous impact on our community. Um, he, you know, he was a leader, but he was a leader. Uh, uh, so he was a legend, but he was also a leader. And you know, a mm. lot of people don't realise he was not only involved in rugby, but he was involved in so many other organisations around the community and school boards and tennis clubs and everything. Um, wonderful, wonderful guy. Um, and you know, um, over, you know, over my time, I've been able to you know become friends with the Meads family as as we travel around the Heartland competition. So, um, yeah, just two great people. And uh, you know, sad they're not here with us, but um, their legacy lives on. Yeah, it does. It lives through for uh, your players, your Warrior Bush players. So, uh, Tony, thank you so much uh, for that. I, I found that uh, quite enlightening, and uh, it's given me a lot of. Uh, a lot of extra knowledge, actually. I think I'll be commentating that game on uh, Sunday night, so uh, along with Ken Laban, I think, and uh, Isaac Boss. So looking forward to seeing you guys in yeah. Palmerston North on on uh, Sunday night, mate. Uh, travel well and uh, have a great season, eh? Okay, cheers. Thanks. Thanks, Louis. Bye.
Yeah, cheers. Uh, Tony Hargill there is the CEO of Wairarapabush Rugby. Interesting. Very good. Uh, we'll be back uh, very shortly uh, and then just uh, after 9.30 talking with Phil Jones, legendary tall black. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. It is uh, 9.31 here on SENZ. Phil Jones very shortly uh, for my uh, tall black grade, of course, but uh, in the meantime, let's uh, have a news update with Araha. After a promising campaign at the recent uh, FIBA Asia Cup where they defeated Jordan to win the bronze, the New Zealand Tall Blacks are back and yesterday they flew out to Japan where they will take part in a training camp to prepare themselves for what's up ahead including two friendly games against, oh, sorry, in Atsugi before taking on Saudi Arabia and Jordan later this month as part of the FIBA World Cup qualifiers. We've got uh, basketball royalty with us on the show to talk about that now. Uh, and it's uh, Tall Black's great uh, Phil Jones. Uh, welcome back to SENZ on the airwaves after a fantastic weekend of calling basketball as well. Uh, Phil, before we get to, to um, the Tall Blacks, what about uh, that finals uh, weekend, that finals four nights? How fantastic was that for local basketball? Yeah, morning, Sonny. Thanks for having me. Yeah, uh, great. Uh, great uh, four nights of basketball. There were some really awesome games, uh, particularly the one that stood out to me was that uh, Tuatara versus the Taranaki years. Um, what a finish that was. And, uh, you know, the, the Nuggets coming out, the eventual winners, and I think deserved winners too. They uh, came in playing a really nice style of basketball and uh, they were super motivated to, to get the championship and uh, well done to them. Well, it evolved, didn't it? I mean, we, we started, uh, it, it seemed, quite some time ago, but franchises still trying to put their uh, imports together, uh, trying to get people available. We had commitments overseas with uh, the, the Tall Blacks, etc. But the whole thing evolved quite beautifully to the point where one of the unfancied sides going in to the playoffs weekend actually comes away with the title. It, it's great reflection. Yeah, it is. And I think, uh, you know, it shows the, the strength of... The New Zealand-based players as well, they uh, managed to hold the fort for their teams until they did get their, I guess, their stallions onto the, onto the court, you know, imports and uh, the, the other New Zealand-based players that were committed to, to national team duties. Um, you know, but credit to Hugh Bain and his crew at BBNZ for, for getting, you know, what I think is a competition that's grown from strength to strength over the last two years. Obviously, Justin Nelson, GM last year, and Hugh Bain in the GM this year. Um, you know, basketball is looking really bright at the moment in New Zealand, particularly in the South NBL, and obviously you've got the Toei here, the Women's League as well. So, um, yeah, it, it's awesome to watch. The brand is looking really good. I think the inclusion of an extra import helps because uh, it helps lift the type of product that's out on the floor. Um, yeah, so I like uh, what I'm seeing, and I think it's just going to go from strength to strength to strength. Well, Phil, uh, we've sent um, a tall black side away not that far ago in qualifying matches, of course, and they finished uh, third in the Asia Cup, uh, picking up the bronze medal there. So how does this uh, group of players, the squad, compare in terms of experience and make-up for you, the, the one that Perio Cameron's uh, taken with him to Japan? Well, it's got a real mixture of youth and uh, some experience. Uh, you know, obviously there's some new cats as well, Sam Dempster getting a shot there, uh, which is awesome from a... You know, from a Giants perspective, a local boy from where I, I'm from and played for for a long time. Um, 
But you know, you've you've still got your Isaac Fotus and um, Shay Ely. You know, those guys have got plenty of experience behind them. Dion Proust has been around for a while now. Ethan Rushbats as well. But then you're throwing in new guys like Carlin Davidson. You know, he's another new cap. Uh, Benjamin Gold. I don't know a lot about Benjamin, but he has been involved in the junior programs for a while. Um, Flynn Cameron Pirro's um, showed that he can really play in that last uh, tour for the fullbacks. Um, so, you know, I like the look of the squad. It's a real good mixture of youth and some experience. None of the guys are really, um, you know, at the end of their playing careers. Uh, so it's cool, and I think it's uh, it's nice to see New Zealand basketball actually growing their pool of players by giving everyone, you know, these new players an opportunity to be involved in the pullback system. So that's just, you know, adding to the strength of the pool. So, uh, you know, when they finally do have an opportunity to select a, a final team that travels to a world championships, um, they're going to have a nice pool of players to select from. If we haven't always got our full-strength players available as such, I mean, you're confident now with the, le- the level of basketball you've seen in the sales NBL that we're always able now to send a very competitive uh, side away um, when it comes to uh, this kind of competition? Yeah, I think we are always going to be quite competitive moving forward because the, something that we lack a little bit in the early days when I was playing was actually getting opportunities to play against other national teams and, and quality national teams. Now it seems like every time there's a Tourbacks tour, they're getting to play against national teams at a high level and um, you know they're getting to play half a dozen games at a time. So they're getting a lot of games under their belt. So they know what it's like to play at that level. So I think that the competitiveness side is always going to be there. Um, I suppose it's whether they're going to have their, their full roster available or whether they just have, a, I guess, a wider group. Um, but I think the team's always going to compete. OK, so Japan. Um, why Japan in terms of uh, the camp as such? Well, the Japanese national team is very strong. Um, you know, I think they're going to get some, some really good games against them and, and other teams to be at. Like, I, I don't know a lot about their schedule in regards to who they'll be playing. Um, but, you know, an opportunity for them to get out and play, see another style of basketball. Uh, you know, they went to the Age Cup and played a lot of different teams there. And, um, you know, it's the nature of the beast now with this Asian qualifying process and having to play in different areas. So I think, uh, you know, it's going to be a really good test for these guys. Okay, so Saudi Arabia on August 25th, all going well. Uh, they're ranked at this stage uh, around 80, 80th in the world. New Zealand, we're ranked uh, around 27th. Um, does this have uh, a lay down Mazia look to it, or is, or is there always um, a, a danger there? Uh, look, I think in sport in general, if you don't, uh, if you take your opponents lightly, there's always a danger. Um, you know, I, I, these guys are going to have to go in and be well drilled and really play hard, which I, I imagine they will be. Um, you know, because if you start dropping games to those teams that are ranked well below you, that can cause you problems moving forward. So they must win games for the team. So, like on paper, they should go in and they should uh, perform well and get a win. But um, you know, anything can happen on the day. And if they're not ready to play and stick to the game plan, then uh, there could be problems. But you know, I'd like to think they'll be okay. Well, Jordan is a team ranked uh, considerably higher. They're 39th in the world at this stage. Of course, we've just knocked them over to uh, to win the bronze medal um, in the Asia Cup as such. But 
they will be a different proposition, and uh, that, of course, um, uh, is a bigger challenge. Yeah, absolutely. Like uh, New Zealand's played Jordan a number of times now over the last few years, and uh, they know each other pretty well. Again, whether or not Jordan national team has their full roster, similar to New Zealand, it could be who's available at the time, but that is going to be a much closer contest. Uh, so, you know, obviously having played each other not very long ago and uh, New Zealand getting the upper hand, I would say Jordan will come in uh, pretty motivated to uh, get one back over them. So uh, it's a game that New Zealand's going to have to be well prepared for and uh, ready to, to play hard and compete to win. On the back of uh, the success of the Sales NBL, you would imagine uh, we'd get some great support back at home, wouldn't we, for those important qualifiers? Yeah, 100%. I think, you know, the, the good thing at the moment is we're seeing lots of basketball on TV, lots of local basketball on TV. So those players that have been playing in the South NBL are, are well-known throughout the country now you know, and supported by, um, you know, their, I guess, their, you know, Nelsonians that are living in Auckland or Otago, um, you know, Tiger people who are living up north there. So um, it's becoming a really good brand. And uh, I think having the opportunity to have some new players play on the national team always creates a little bit more interest too because uh, people want to want to know how they're going to go and um, getting you know, coverage of those games as well and being able to watch them, albeit probably very early in the morning. Um, you know, I'd, hope to, I'd like to think that uh, there'll be plenty of people watching you know, with interest. Piro Cameron will have uh, a, a, an opportunity, of course, to uh, to regroup when it comes to uh, the, the the qualifiers, those World Cup qualifiers. But how many of these uh, of of these players have uh, a really viable opportunity uh, to make that particular squad for those those qualifiers? I mean, would would he have an open mind about that? Yeah, I think uh, he needs to. You know, obviously in this. Uh, environment we live in at the moment, things can change pretty quickly. So, uh, you know, you can't really shut doors on players uh, because you, you don't know who's going to get injured or potentially have COVID issues. So, um, you know, that's why it's a good idea. I think they have a wider group. But, you know, if I look at the roster that, that he has here on, on paper, um, you know, I think there'll be a couple of definites in that group. Um I won't like to. I wouldn't like to pick who they are, but um, you know, outside of that, there's there's all to play for. I think you know, there's an opportunity for a lot of young players coming into the scene to to go over and and perform. And if they perform well, they can play themselves into spots. Uh, so you know, everything to play for for these guys to heading into uh, you know a much bigger tournament. I guess. Phil, can I just ask you about uh, two or three of those younger players that uh, we've seen come through uh, the sales NBL this year and, and earned positions uh, in this particular training squad? Um, champions are Otago Nugget, uh, of course, um, and their guard, uh, Nico McCulloch, has made uh, giant strides this year, just not in um, uh, the five-player format, uh, but also the three-on-three -three format as well. Yeah, Nico um, had, had an excellent final series um, and I was super impressed with him. Obviously, he's had uh, his opportunities at 3x3 and done very well. Um, I just really like the way he plays with intensity. Um, he shoots the ball really well. Uh, defensively, he's pretty tough. Um, and he's a good-sized guard. You know, he's, uh, you know, he's physically pretty strong. Uh, not overly tall, but his physicality is, is something that allows him to guard much bigger players. Um, 
but really impressed with his sort of intensity and style of play that he plays with and uh, you know, shooting the ball. He shot the ball great in the finals um, and made some really good plays for, for the Nuggets uh, in both the semi and the final. Um, so I think he is someone that we really need to keep an eye, out, eye on in the future. 18 years of age, uh, out of the Taranaki years, is uh, young Carlin Davison. Yeah, well, this guy is a super athlete, and if anyone's seen him play, if he gets out in the open court or even if he gets half a chance to get off the floor, um, you're more than likely going to get dunked on. <laughs> um, you know, he's just a phenomenal athlete and uh, someone who's extremely exciting to watch. I think from a, uh, from a development perspective for Carlin, this is a really good opportunity for him to see what it's like to play in a, in a um, really structured environment. Um you know, and, and play against uh, some some talent that is at that next level. Uh, you know, his probably his skill set is limited in regards to his ability to shoot the ball. So that's something that he will obviously work on, and he will he will improve without a doubt. Um, you know, because he does have a mentality that he does want to shoot the ball, in it, which is a good starting point. But for him, I think it's just repetition. Um, but defensively. He just goes after everything. So, you know, trying to block shots all over the place, and he has that ability to change shots. And uh, he's a good size guard sort of swingman. Um, yeah, I think given an opportunity, uh, he's going to be extremely exciting to watch. Exciting times, Phil. They really are. Um, the Domestic Basketball League, an absolute 100% success. And, uh, and now, of course, we move on to international basketball. Uh, thanks very much for your time and taking a, a look at that squad for us this morning. And thanks for your great commentary uh, over that finals uh, duration as well. Well done. Uh, and uh, thanks for your time again this morning. Cheers. Thanks for having me. Yeah, cheers. Phil Jones there, of course, uh, former great uh, tall black uh, with some, uh, uh, I think, uh, some real promising news about uh, this uh, tall, tall black squad of 13 who flew out yesterday to uh, go to Japan as a preparation camp and play some qualifiers as well. It's 9.47 here on SENZ. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. New texts that have come in, a couple from yesterday actually held over. Smithy, when uh, Fokatava comes back, does he go straight into the Hawks Bay starting lineup with him being an all black and all? Yes, he will. Um, those players all released yesterday. He was one of them. Uh, he'll play for Hawks Bay against the Manawatu on Sunday afternoon in Palmerston North. No doubt about that. Uh, it's been the norm to dump all black uh, players without a moment's notice. Why not uh, the coaches too, Ra? Well, uh, probably it's uh, never been done before. We've never dumped an all-black coach. We're on all in new ground, aren't we, in terms of uh, that respect? Who's to say we are? Anyway, uh, as I said before to the guys at breakfast, uh, the longer it goes on, the less chance it gives anyone new coming in. And uh, it sort of lends me to believe that the status quo may still will be there. Uh, and just finally, a text from uh, Ian Highsmith. Listening to the uh, Wairapa Bush CEO describe the travel puts into perspective when Adi Savia complained about travelling by bus from Queenstown to Dunedin and to play Super Rugby earlier this year. Talk about the haves and the have-nots. Thanks very much, Ian. We'll be back with a multi shortly. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. You got to know when to hold up, know when to fold up. Smithy's multi. Know when to walk away, and know when to run. Bet live on your favourite sports. Download the TAB app today.
Well, the Blue Jays got beaten yesterday, so we're going to go with the faith and uh, repeat them uh, again today at $1.46 uh, to beat the Orioles. Hawks Bay to beat Otago tonight at 2.25. The Bay are the outsiders down there in Dunedin. And New Zealand to beat the West Indies uh, tomorrow morning early in a one-day international at $1.47. So New Zealand into Hawks Bay into the Toronto Blue Jays, and that will return us $4.82. Uh, coming up in the first half hour of the next hour, we want you to call us on 0800 150 811. What do you think uh, at this delay down in Wellington uh, is producing from New Zealand rugby? Um, they've got, uh, what, an eight- or nine-person panel uh, who are trying to sort this out down there. Uh, what is it meaning to you? What, what are you starting to feel about it? Uh, in terms of uh, the result for Ian Foster. And also, uh, the death of Test Cricket. Is it in the offing for you? Are you worried about Test Cricket? Uh, 0800 150 811 Chemist Warehouse Voucher up for grabs. All coming up after the news here with Araha at 10. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Talkback Time with Smithy. Brought to you by Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. Call now for a chance to win today's $50 Chemist Warehouse voucher. 0800 150 811. Oh eight hundred one five oh eight eleven is the number. Oh eight hundred one five oh eight eleven is the number. What do you think's going to come out of it now? We're getting to uh, D Day, as they're calling it, very very close. A nine person uh, panel, nine person NZR board to decide Ian Foster's fate as we speak. Probably, probably get an announcement later today or tomorrow. What are we thinking is going to perhaps happen there um, after all this delay? And the other one, of course, is uh, Test Cricket. Uh, Test Cricket, a lot of people coming out and saying Test Cricket now is doomed on the back of Trent Bolt, saying don't want to play it anymore. Um, uh, now that he's getting towards the end of his career, he wants to maximise the, the strength and the bowling he's got left uh, and turn it into money, basically, uh, in the shorter form of the game around the, the domestic league. So uh, we'll have uh, a thought about that. But we have uh, c- uh, calls coming up uh, on the line, um, and I think we'll go to Justin from Mid-Canterbury. Justin, good morning to you. Yeah, morning, Smitty. Um, I've got nothing against um, Foster, per se, as a bloke and everything. I, I think he'll stay in, well, personally, he should stay until the World Cup, but um, I, I think he got in, he got the job purely on riding on Hanson's coattails, pretty much. Um, he had, you know, a pretty dismal coaching record himself as a head coach. Um, sure, he got the Chiefs to a, to a final, but uh, they got smashed, if uh, memory recalls, but um, at the end of the day, um, you know, they made their choice. They picked Foster and they should uh, ride it out until the World Cup. Well, I, I, you know, Justin, I think there'll be a number of board members uh, agreeing with you on that because um, they asked uh, when he went to South Africa, apparently, that he had to show signs of improvement. He had to show signs of turning the corner. Well, if you look at that performance the other night, uh, some people say he was only 12 minutes away from the sack, but the fact of the matter is 80, uh, rugby is an 80-minute game. The All Blacks outlasted South Africa, and he was at the helm of that. I mean, if you're going to condemn him for previous demises, you have to give him some sort of credit for that, don't you? Yeah, but uh, if you're judging on your last performance, Smitty, well, they couldn't have got much bloody worse than the last one, could they? So you're, they're always going to get better. So your gut feeling is, Justin, that he will stay, yeah? 
Yeah, like I... Still back in the last few months. Yeah. Okay, Justin there uh, out of mid-Canterbury. Thank you, Justin. Uh, First-time caller for me. Uh, Don't uh, be a stranger, mate. Uh, That was really cool. Uh, Graham from uh, Marlborough, formerly Northland. There's so many former provinces, Graham. When you come up on the screen, we take two... Uh, almost two panels for you. Graham. good morning to you. <laughs> Don't be like that, Smithy. I love Northland and I love Marlborough. Um, went to Premier <laughs> Nipple last night. My, it was bloody awesome too. Um, uh, look, Whereabouts? Yeah, tell, us, tell us about it. Where, where was that? Oh, just my daughter plays down here in Marlborough in the Premier competition and it was the final round before the semis. So, yeah, it was fantastic Nipple. A little bit biased on the umpiring, I thought. But, um, right. yeah, it was a... Great, great game in Apple, very close side, you know, when score changed, very, you know, just often it was a great game. I'm looking forward to the semis and, um, yeah, my girl will be there, hopefully. Looking look that you. way anyway. Good on you, Graham. So, uh, Good on you. Um, went to the, yeah, oh, firstly on the cricket, I'm a purist, I love the test cricket, I just, I just love sitting there and all the little interest, intricacies, I've, I've never watched a T20 game. Um, just because it, yeah, it just doesn't spin my wheels. Don't mind the odd one day, but it's generally the last ten overs where it gets comes down to. But I can understand what Trent Bolt's doing, and I'm surprised someone like Tim Southey hasn't done it, or even Ross Taylor didn't. I think Kane Williams might do it just because they spend so much time away from their families. You know, young families, and you'd know this. You know, you have your wife's at home having a baby, and you're on to it. You know, like, I just, I can't imagine, you know, we got caught out when we were having a baby, and I just can't imagine what it's like for these young guys now, but just there's so much, they're under so much pressure now to perform, things going on, going on at home. Uh, you know, I back Trent Bolt for what he's done, but I, I just, it worries me, the future of Test cricket. That, that's all I've got to say on that. Um, yeah, sorry, oh, sorry, I, I, yeah. I, I, I totally, totally agree with you. I'm, I'm worried about it as well. But uh, the reason why Tim Southey and uh, the likes of Ross Taylor, etc., uh, haven't uh, or done the same thing or didn't want to do the same thing is because they weren't in demand from those franchises. Trent Bolt at the moment is top, one of the top-ranked uh, T20 bowlers in the world. Um, he is highly respected. He is, an ex- he is a sought-after commodity. Um, Tim Southey is not. Uh, Ross Taylor uh, was for a while. We we know full well uh, he was one of the forerunners. But after that, um, he fell out of favour a wee bit, and uh, the desire for him and the high money rate was not there. So that's the reason, uh, Graham. But uh, as soon as the big money comes knocking on the door, just like the golfers, you have to think very seriously about it. What about what what about um, uh, we're going to go to Brian? Are we next? Uh, thank you very much, Graham, for your call. Uh, Brian from Christchurch. Good morning to you. What prompted me to ring this morning was um, a well-respected journalist uh, wrote a very thoughtful article on the coaching uh, conundrum, if we can put it that way, this morning. I can't quite remember his name, but most people would have read it online. And it was well done, but then he ruined it all with the final line, and that brought home the reality to me of the situation with Ian Foster. In the final line, his phrase was, after all, it's only a game. And I thought to myself, well, you can't tell that to the people at Silver Lake that paid an enormous 
truckload of money for this brand. Uh, the people that are hard-nosed business people don't think it's only a game. It's gone beyond a game. It's a business. And unfortunately, in business, you don't pick failures. And you don't pick perennial failures to hit up uh, your company. And that's about all I've got to say on the subject. Uh, Brian, Brian, you don't need to say much more because you've summed it up very succinctly. It is. Uh, we would like to think it's a game. You're right, Brian. Yeah, we would love to think that it's uh, just a pastime, that's something we can get our teeth into and that, but, but it isn't. You're dead right. It is as far from just a game. It is a multi-squillion dollar business, um, and, you know, <laughs> so many variables and factors go into it. And at the, at the top end of that uh, variables list is the fact that you've got to have a winner. You're right. You've got it. Your, your flagship, uh, which is the uh, All Blacks, of course, has to be perceived as being a high percentage winning unit. At the moment, they have not been that. In the last month or two, they've been uh, on the lower scale. So, And that has given us all a fright. It's given us all a, a bit of a wake-up, etc. And it's not a situation that um, I'm sure New Zealand rugby were anticipating dealing with. Uh, as little as time ago as like two months, maybe uh, just prior to Ireland getting here, they probably thought comfortable against Ireland, <coughs> rugby championship. We'll just, um, no, you know, we'll just um, dosy do our way through uh, another year of rugby. Anything but that. It's been anything but uh, a lovely little dance. It's been horrible, to be fair. And today we might get an outcome. Brian, you summed it up beautifully. You really did. Uh, Anthony from uh, Invercargill. Good morning to you, Anthony. Morning, Smithy. Um, just around the Ian Foster issue, I think the writing's already on the wall for him after Mark Robertson come out on Sunday in the press conference that he shouldn't have held, that he uh, implied that the outcome should be resolved when people around friends and family like that's putting the writing on the wall that, that Ian Foster's no longer going to be the coach. Like That press conference shouldn't have been held on Sunday. Yeah, I, th I think that was a telltale sign. I mean, um, first time he spoke uh, prior to going to South Africa, he said, here's our man for this particular trip. And when, of course, um, they win the second game, he stands up and says, I, I basically says nothing, which means he can't commit to, to anything at all, Anthony. So, um, you know, we were, they were press conference we were craving for, but in the end they did more harm than good. Yeah, they did. Like, uh, uh, they've ever got a... Back him or sack him, and I'm meaning back him right through the World Cup. No more reviews, just back him. Or sack him, to, or sack him in the next 48 hours and be done with it. Like it, it's come to the point where new, the, the people in New Zealand want an answer. And what they're doing to, they're affecting just not Foster's mental health, but the players and all the coaching staff. And that's what the, the board have got to make a decision on, is like, if they back him, we've got to back him at 100% or sack him and get Ray Robertson in, and that's what they need to do. Look, I'm absolutely right. They have to put a deadline on them on themselves. I'm surprised it's gone this long. I mean, you just count the days. Uh, we've got uh, 10 days until the All Blacks run out against Argentina. Never before... Um, would an all-black coach, a new uh, uh, incoming coach, had that lack of preparation time? Um, you know, w when I say never before, probably has back in the dark ages when they, you know, they were farming on the morning of the match and all got together later that afternoon. But uh, I'll tell you, in the modern era, the professional era of rugby, 
this is unprecedented um, and it will be unprecedented in a lot of sports as well at international level. Anthony, valued your call. Thank you very much for the points that you've made. Uh, Jeff, uh, the ref from Cromwell. Good morning, Jeff. Good day, I can't believe you're not backing Otago, the Otago team. That's a bit oh, disappointing. Cut it out, Jeff. Oh, Come on, Jeff. It's Hawks Bay, for goodness sake. When was the last time <laughs> we lost down there? I mean, we went down, we've taken the shield off you twice down there. What do you, what do you want about? Yeah, well, there's a lot of controversial about that uh, when you're talking about us down there. At the, we won't go into that, Smithy, but uh, it's, it's good nice, to see you. Nice to know you're over it, Jeff. Nice to know you're over it. Hey, yeah, I'm just thinking, uh, uh, yeah, I'll never get over it, Smithy. Uh, I like you, I'm passionate with you know, my home team. Hey, uh, I think if Fuzzy gets the job, and I said the other day, there's a good chance because the players are backing him, Skipper and the players. But if he does get the job, he needs to also shout the TMO because there's two critical situations that happened in that game. I've watched it three times. I watch it as a spectator, and then I watch it, analyse it as a referee. But there's two critical calls that they could have gone either way. Uh, there was the Bowden Bout yellow card, and if they didn't have the TMO to analyse that, that could have been under the sticks for a penalty try. Um, but they got that one correct. Um, and also the other call where it was a centre when it scored, but um, White Lock was impeded. Um, but that could have easily been play on. And, you know, there, there's 14 points. Boom. So I think, you know, that's where the TMO comes in in those critical situations beautifully. Um, you could debate that one of White Locks. I mean, the because um, I don't think he would have got him, to be honest. But, no uh, way, but, Jeff. No way. No way in the world. You're talking about a, a lock here and a tiring situation. Getting across that quickly, uh, at best he might have tagged him. I don't think he'd have stopped him. Uh, I think you're absolutely right on that one. They were so bene- got the benefit of the doubt there, Jeff. Um, you, you're spot on with your observation there. Um, we've got to move on. Um, we'll move uh, all the way out my back door to Hastings. And James, good morning to you. Good morning, Smitty. Um, I think Foster will be staying myself, um, but I can't get over how in the first test against South Africa, people didn't see that we stopped the rolling moor, which we got crunched with the, with, with the Irish. The rolling moor stopped. The defence was way better. They crossed our line on their own terms once. We crossed once. They got their second try because we gave it to them. So our discipline and our our, our <clears throat> basics let us down in that game. Um, the discipline let the score get way out of way way out of um, you know way above than it should have been. Um, the second game, well, we all saw the second game, um, and I just think the boys actually are on the right track. Um, to 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 come from that first game and get the bash from New Zealand up to the second game, I actually thought knew they were going to win the game because they were angry. I'm pretty sure they, those boys were angry, not just because of Foster, but because of themselves. They were getting bagged as the you know as a bad rugby team, but I knew they had the goods because. They were breaking out, but then passes and 
catching the ball were just not happening in the first test. The second test, they got it a little bit right. They still had the old breakdown, but other than that, I, I, I just think Foster will be staying, but my own thoughts anyway. Good on you, James. Appreciate your call. Um, and we'll find out later this afternoon or tomorrow morning there will be a definitive, and it should be right through to the end of the World Cup. Absolutely no doubt about that. Thank you so much for uh, all your calls this morning. Enjoyed uh, having a chat to you. Another big text has come in from Graham. We shall uh, read that out later. And also from uh, Di, who's a CD supporter, has sent in his text as well. Take a short break, and when we come back, we'll have uh, a panel this morning uh, consisting of Hamish Bidwell and James Regan. Z. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. James Regan joins us this morning on the panel, as does uh, Hamish Bidwell, both uh, regular contributors, and we are thankful for that. And uh, Hamish Bidwell, there's a new book on the market. It's called Ross Taylor, Black and White. Uh, have you had a look at it? I haven't yet, no. I've been following um, the excerpts closely and uh, saw him along with Laura McGoldrick and been reflecting on, on the time because it was a really divided time in New Zealand cricket. I can think back to where I was working at the time at the Dominion Post, we had three cricket writers, so myself, Mark Enty and Jonathan Normo. And Jonathan had played for John Wright in his brief Black Caps career, and he was very upset when John lost the coaching. And there was a feeling within our department that as soon as Hesson was installed, that um, Taylor's job was on the line. And I can recall straight after that going to Sri Lanka to cover the T20 World Cup and talking to Mike Hesson a day or two into the trip and asking him, just because South Africa and Australia had separate white ball and red ball captains at the time, would New Zealand never contemplate that? And he said, uh, Ross Taylor's the captain for now, that's a board decision, and we're doing our best to make it work. Now, that was, it was pretty damning. Uh, it certainly fit the narrative that we had at the paper at the time that Ross was under pressure. And I wrote that, um, was hoping to leave it. I remember my boss saying, you're going to have to go harder again the next day and being taken aside at the oldest scary ground in Candy by uh, Mike Sandal and Mike Heston and, and basically abused um, for writing that, trying to undermine the campaign. It was funny, though, I, I interviewed a player later that day who let all seen what had happened with me and the, the management, and he said to me after the interview, look, mate, you need to understand that not everyone's against you. Um, you're on the right track. So I don't know whether the players... We're moving against them. I don't know whether they should have been moving against them. I feel history probably vindicated what happened in the sense that I think the right guy ended up being in charge of the Black Caps, and I think the performances on the park showed that. But it was actually difficult for Taylor, and we had to sort of interview him again various times during the tournament. He was a broken man. He knew that his days were numbered. He didn't understand what the agenda might have been that I had and why I was trying to undermine them and why the players were seeking to undermine them. It was a really difficult time for him notably but even after the tour there was a bit of dithering from NZC and we got back to New Zealand and people were saying to me, geez mate, did you make more of that than there was? Did you imagine it? Um, the test team a few weeks later went to Sri Lanka and Taylor was still captain and there was sort of like, oh, Jesus, maybe I was wrong. But as we know, events unfolded on that trip and he got a knock on the door and was told that his days were numbered so, yeah, it was bloody unfortunate. I mean, people had different sides and you were pro one or pro the other or seemed to have to be. And it was hellishly difficult. And to see Ross on with Laura McGoldrick the other day and to see the hurt that he still carries and to see that the, the, the subsequent success of the team probably hasn't softened the blow for him. 
Um, I feel terribly sad for him because he was a bloody decent and remains a bloody decent person and a hell of a good cricketer. And I, I feel when I put my mouth on these issues, I insult your intelligence a bit, Ian, because you're far more intimately connected to this story than I am. But, yeah, it's been an interesting time and interesting to reflect on it again. It has, uh, Hamish, and uh, nice to hear um, uh, that story about uh, your your personal involvement in it as well. And, um, yeah, uh, <laughs> it has been. It's, it's taken its, its toll on him. Um, I, I hope now... I really hope now that um, now that he has uh, come out and, and and let the world know exactly how he was feeling, um, that it, it'll sort of put a, a, a slightly bigger um, full stop on it for him. I don't think it'll ever go away, Hamish, as you say. Uh, I don't think it'll ever go away because the hurt was too deep. But I, I think now that he's actually got it out in the open and been able to talk about it a lot more freely without pressure of uh, surrounding people, etc., I think he'll be the better for that as uh, an individual. Let's hope so, uh, Hamish. Thanks for those thoughts. Uh, James, good morning to you. Um, as we speak, uh, apparently there is a nine-strong NZR board meeting or, or about to happen to decide um, Ian Foster's fate. Does it take nine people to sort through this? I mean, what are we looking at here? Yeah, morning, Smithy. Morning, Hamish. Um, yeah, yeah, it's going to be an interesting kind of 20, 24, 48 hours. I think... The way I was there at the airport when um, when the team got back late uh, late Monday night, and the way Ian Foster came out and spoke to media was someone who's confident or looks confident that they were on the right track and they were going to keep their job. And not only that, but the way the players have come out in support of him, you can kind of feel the public turning uh, turning the tide a bit in support of him as well. There's no way they can get rid of him at, at this stage, especially at the stage of the Rugby Championship off the back of a really good win at Alice Park. So the, the board, whoever is meeting and whoever ultimately makes the decision, has got a lot to think about. They've got a lot to think about the, how the players are going to feel if they get rid of him, how the public are going to react, what it looks like from a PR point of view. So I don't think... Um, that Ian Foster is on the way out. I think he'll be given to at least the end of the rugby championship. And then after that, who knows? Um, results depending, of course. But especially the way it was handled after that game, the way Mark Robinson came out in that press conference on Zoom and, and said nothing, basically, um, was a bit of a PR disaster. And now there's, there's no way, surely no way, that they can get rid of Ian Foster at this stage. Well, does it suggest to you then, Hamish, that it goes deeper than just rugby results, this? I mean, we, what are we looking at, the financial implications? What does it take nine people? I mean, a lot of those nine people are, would like the game of rugby, would follow the game of rugby, but probably don't know um, the ins and outs of putting a, an all-black test team together So, and the coaching structure that's needed for that. So why nine? Is it, is it deeper, goes deeper than just a, a head coach? Look, You'd be aware of the rumours that are going around. I, I was told by someone well-connected yesterday that contracts with a new coaching group were signed on or agreed to on Saturday, and it's just a matter of getting that rubber stamped. I mean, I, the problem it's just we have. It's good that the names of the nine boards are out, of the nine board members are out there, and people can scrutinise them and scrutinise their backgrounds because this is a story of ineptitude, and it's not as Foster's ineptitude or even the teams. It's it's NZRs. They have dithered and sat on their hands to so long that they have created a situation where it's going to be difficult for them to actually make the right decision. And I think the right decision is, and always has been, not for Ian Foster to be the All Blacks coach going way back to when he was appointed. 
but they've waited so long that the tide has, has turned on them and they would have been made a popular decision last week and no one would have grumbled and we'd have all got on with it. You know, even if you're Mark Robinson and you're not getting rid of Ian Foster, you know, come out last week and say as he, on Sunday when he was up, say, look, we back Ian. The players back Ian. We think the results will change. We don't care whether you don't like it. We have 100% confidence in him. He's the man to carry us forward and we're moving on. We're putting a, a line under this issue and we're not discussing it again. That would have been leadership, but there's been no leadership. And it's good that the board's names are out there because they have not led. Whether you're management or board at NZ Rugby, you have not led the situation at any stage. You've allowed the narrative to be controlled by the media. You've allowed your coach, whether you like him, rate him, don't like him, whatever, to look a fool. You've undermined them at every turn and you've destabilised the team. Now, that's just a terrible mismanagement of the situation. It's, it's, it's damaging the brand that they invest so much in that the game at every level, every club and every team in this country uh, gets by with less so the All Blacks can have more. And that works when the team's winning and everyone's prepared to accept that. But through their inaction, through their uh, inability to control the narrative, New Zealand rugby have actually destabilised that team. They've certainly destabilised their coach. And whatever decision they come to now, having waited too long, is going to be the wrong one. And they're going to be pilloried for it. Um, James is probably right. I have no, I wouldn't be shocked in any fashion if Ian Foster retained his job. But it won't reflect well on New Zealand rugby, whatever the outcome. No, it, it's not. It's been an ugly, an ugly period. There's no doubt about that. It's 10:32. Take a short break from the panel. When we come back, uh, we'll have uh, Hamish Bidwin, James Regan, with us again on another couple of matters. But in the meantime, uh, we'll take a breath and uh, listen to the news from Araha. Big talk, big opinions. The panel. Yeah, an interesting one, uh, James uh, Regan, who's with us this morning, along with ha- Ham- Hamish Bidwell. And uh, James, uh, f- uh, what is it, 13, 14 All Blacks have been released uh, out of the squad that uh, was in South Africa to play NPC duty this weekend. I think that can only be good news. Most of them will be craving some action, um, including Roger Tuovasa-Shek, of course, uh, so he'll actually be able to lace up his boots. Uh, but uh, I, I just wonder, James, who, who actually made that decision? Um, was it the current All Black coaching structure that released them or the new one, possibly? Yeah, yeah, it's an interesting one. It's great for the competition, first of all, and especially, as you mentioned, to see the likes of Roger, who will be just wanting to play any time he can, right? Especially he's been in that All Black environment, which is which would have been really good for him as well, but now he'll be looking to take what he's learned from that and what he's taken from being in that that group um, back to playing rugby, which is which is what they all want to do. Um, who made that decision? Yeah, maybe it was already set in stone before they went to South Africa that those who perhaps didn't get as much game time would come back and play um, play for the club. But, yeah, as we say, it's great for the competition. Anytime these guys get out and have a run around for their, for their regions, it's awesome to see and, and it will be good for a lot of them who have just been training and travelling and training and travelling to actually stretch their legs and, and get a good, hopefully a good 80 minutes under their belt before they go back to back to the coalface and back to the rugby championship. Uh, Hamish Bidwell is with us uh, as well this morning and uh, James Anderson, of course, a prolific English uh, opening bowler about to play his 173rd test match, for God's sake. As a quick bowler, that is just unbelievable, unfathomable, but he's going to do it. Uh, but uh, he also has fears, uh, Hamish, for the future of Test cricket with the explosion of T20 leagues, of course, a brand new one coming out of the UAE, which will be very lucrative, right smack bang in the middle of our summer. Uh, so, uh, Hamish, uh, f- 
danger signs for Test cricket for you? Certainly danger signs for nations such as New Zealand who don't have England's luxury of, of putting guys like Anderson and Broad on Red Bull contracts and, and giving them a few tune-up games in county cricket, but otherwise just employing them to train for Test match cricket and, and play when, when selected. So uh, for New Zealand, we've seen it already with Trent Bolt and his decision to step away from Red Bull cricket. And, you know, we're going to get to a point where guys like Bolt are full-time sort of Mumbai Indians and you play for them team in the IPL, you play for the UAE franchise, you play for the South African franchise and whatever other competitions that they, they invest into as time goes on and so, you know, perhaps we'll just have guys who, have, who play six tournaments a year for the one franchise in various competitions and that's what we get and the thing that will suffer, as you alluded to is Test Cricket um, outside of Australia and England where they revere the ashes and they pour a lot of money into it that'll continue but the rest of us will play sort of two-match series is from time to time and, and often without our best players because they'll become, as I say, full-time Rajasthan Royals or, or Mumbai Indians and just go around that circuit. Oh, look, I, I, I totally agree. I mean, uh, the, the danger signs are there, and particularly the timings of it because, I mean, our Super Smash has, has lacked credibility right since uh, day one because we can't attract overseas talent because we clash with the BBL and, and quite frankly, James, we haven't got the money to mix it with them, but... Um, the, the worrying signs are there, and, and we're talking here about a nation who are the current World Test champions in two to three years, scrambling to find windows that decides uh, of uh, you know more reputed uh, reputations as such um, uh, will want to play us. Uh, we'll, we'll have an opportunity to play us, James, and and that is just sticking out really very clearly now. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and it, you'd, you'd have to think. In the not too distant future, there will come a time when there's a bit of a turning point in, in cricket, and with with new competitions popping up and money coming from different places, as we've seen with golf at the moment, the same kind of thing will happen with cricket and will happen with other sports, where money plays a huge part, and players and countries or whoever will have to choose: do we want to stick with Test cricket and grow Test cricket and and go down that path, or do we kind of put that on the back burner and, and turn our attentions to white ball cricket more and more? Um, as, as well, players are going to have to have the biggest say because they're the ones who are being run ragged by the current schedule. I mean, we saw Ben Stokes come out a few weeks ago and say that this, you know something's got to give, basically, when he uh, retired from white ball, and he's right. Players are going to have to choose, um, and it'll be very, very telling what they choose, whether they whether they stick with white ball and, and the World Test Championship and, and pursue that, or they go actually, especially in the latter stages of their careers, do we do we just chase the money and, and do we you know play T20 T20 cricket and and go from there? So something's got to give. It will give eventually. Um, when that'll be, I'm not sure. But you'd have to hope that, that the powers that be um, do do pay a lot of attention to to what the fans want and what and what's good for Test cricket especially. Can the Warriors go back to back, James? Can they possibly beat the Cowboys? <laughs> yeah, you'd have to think, um, given given what they dished up against the Bulldogs, that maybe that's um, that's quite telling that perhaps they've been able to lift lift themselves when when the season's pretty much done. Um, which you know, take that what you will, but yeah, they can they can certainly produce something on their day. Whether they'll have that day or they'll revert to. Um, you know, how they did against the Rabbitohs 
when they were mentally not at the races and didn't have the energy that was needed uh, in an NRL game, who knows? But, um, yeah, yeah, I don't know what to say about the Warriors. They they know they can do it. They know they can turn up and play a good game of footy. We saw that against the Bulldogs. Um, can they do it and will they do it? Uh, two different things at the moment. I think they've got a lot to, a lot to learn and a lot to take in over the next few weeks and into next year's pre-season. James Regan and Hamish Bidwell have been our panellists this morning and uh, some very interesting views on a number of subjects there from uh, the pair of them. We thank them very much and we uh, look forward to another panel. Perhaps not tomorrow morning because we've got to cricket here on SENZ, ball by ball, the West Indies against the Black Caps, uh, but certainly Friday and uh, tomorrow which one is up in the air. Weather dependent, shall we say, which is uh, always the case around live cricket. It's 10.41 here on SENZ. On SENZ. It is uh, 10.46. I always enjoy uh, hearing the opinions of uh, Andrew Mertens, whether it's on Australian television or New Zealand radio. And he was on New Zealand radio yesterday. In fact, he was on uh, with our very own uh, Kirsten Beave on the show. And uh, he was asked uh, about um, the Ian Foster situation. Dave Rennie has probably not had... He's probably had results pretty similar to Fozzie's, but I couldn't imagine in the sporting landscape that is Aussie that's so clustered. He's quite getting the public scrutiny of... uh, Fozzie at the moment? No, they're coming off a low base and they've worked hard to establish that low base over the last 20 <laughs> years. <laughs> Certainly not the Wallabies team from, from back in that late 90s, the World Cup winning team. More's the pity, actually, for a bloke like me. Um, so, in fact, I give them encouragement over here. They uh, they look at me if they even recognise it now as a 30 kilogram disguise, but uh, <laughs> they look at me and <laughs> if they can think back to the 90s, it makes them feel better. God, we once had a really good team. So, no, it's... Um, it's, it's I, I didn't want to get in and it certainly wasn't up to me to get in and put, in, put the boot in with the rest of the, the country seemingly last week. Uh, like I say, from a results perspective, there, there would have been no shame in losing a second game in South Africa. Performance is another matter, of course. But also all the results that we're talking about. You know, we've been up against the three top teams in the world. And we've come off the back of being really spoiled for the last 15 years, probably in terms of all-black success, over and above what generally the, the 120-odd years of success has been. So we've been incredibly spoiled, and we've been up against very, very good teams. We've only really, we've only lost to France Island in South Africa, and that's, you know, like I say, there's no shame in that as a result, but uh, uh, just... It all, it'll all depend on how many wheels are in motion from the New Zealand Rugby Union or New Zealand Rugby um, because it's it's a big ship to turn around once they, they get the processes going. So if those processes started before that win at Alice Park last weekend, then you know it's going to be pretty hard to stop. So who knows? We'll, we'll all wait with anticipation, I guess. Mm, not alone, though, uh, with a bit of pressure on him, uh, is he? Um, uh, Ian Foster, Dave Rennie's situation is an interesting one, and SMH's Georgina Robinson was on yesterday in the afternoons with uh, Stephen McIver. Dave Rennie, do you rate him as a coach to take them to a World Cup victory? You've said right now the Wallabies' course hangs in the balance. Rennie's overall run weight is 40%, or 10 wins from 25 tests. And you go on to talk about the, the test still to come. Uh, quote, of those sides, you can only pick out Italy as a certain win. Do you not have faith in the current coach? I have faith in Dave Rennie. I think he's an excellent coach. Uh, I think he's doing the very best he can um, with the cattle available to him. Mm. Um, I think their fitness program um, 
needs needs a look. Um, they've they've uh, ruined a lot of bodies this season, and many of them have been in game kind of shoulders, knees. Um, Tom Banks has broken arm, but um, I do think he has a reputation for training his players really hard. Uh, and maybe you have to break a few eggs to make an omelette, as, <laughs> as many people are fond of saying. Um, but he has broken a few eggs, so I, I think I think they're reviewing all of that. Um, I think Australia's depth is much better than it was thanks to Dave Rennie and thanks to the, the players he's blooded um, over the last year. Um, but I do think our depth remains an issue. Um, I, I think he's an excellent coach. I tell you what, I do think I think he uh, he's never played in the World Cup. This is his first test coaching job and I think at World Cups experienced coaches um, at test level uh, do better and you know I think I also observed that um, out of the guys who who Australia um, might meet in a quarter final like England and Argentina Dave Reddy's the only one who's never been at a World Cup Michael Check is on his second test nation Eddie Jones is on about his third or fourth <laughs> fourth actually um, so, yeah, I mean, I think experience experience helps. Yeah, conflicting uh, thoughts. They're not conflicting, but uh, two thoughts anyway, and they have two coaching positions on either side of the Tasman. But we're going to talk to Louis Herman Watt very shortly and Pip Morris from the TAB. That's before 11 o'clock. SCNZ. The loveracing.nz update. Your home for everything thoroughbred racing. Visit loveracing.nz. Racing's biggest fan. Seven races today at the Cambridge Synthetic, beginning at 12.29, so uh, around about uh, an hour and a half away. Louis joins us this morning with some serious information, I'm sure. Mm, yeah, very, very serious business for There's actually a couple I like. Um, I'm going to work backwards. Race six, we tipped it out last time, and it was punted off the grid and just got strangled late hit the top a wee bit too early. One power. Now, jumped from the, the far barrier here in a smallish field, but got good gate speed, got the claimer to get it down to 55.5, and, and Stephen Ortridge obviously has a high enough opinion of one power. Lightly raced, but I think breaks its maiden today, and it's still a maiden company. If you go to race number four, Dunneagle gets the best jockey in the country aboard as he is starting his comeback trail, Opie Bosson. Uh, not outweighed considering the field here. And just for whatever reason, Sean Ritchie and Cole Murray's team just really love the synthetic. So I think that is a benefit. Been racing in consistent form, gets OP today. And in race number three, a little bit of speaking for Lady Caval. Now $4 and $1.70. Second up, Alan Nichols, Nicholas can ride, claims it down to two. And I think I uh, was doing some of the best work late, resuming last start here. And I think this time, Lady Caval, the American Faramir, can go on and do one better at $4.70. Lady Caval, Dun Eagle, one power. There you go, Smithy. Cheers, Louis. Have a terrific uh, afternoon. Pip Morris joins us now uh, on behalf of the TAB. Pip uh, running around at uh, Palmerston North today for the Greyhounds and some rugby tonight as well. Good morning, Smithy. Yes, there certainly is. On the greyhound side of things, really like Big Time Audi in race number six off the ace alley. She was 3.30 this morning. She's into 2.2, dropped back to the sprint. I really think she looks the winner on paper, made it the best bet of the day. Cambridge for the synthetic, who has got power plays available on every race. 
this evening and the best back there is in race number two, the one Super Rat, 218 to 2.7. Had a nice multi come in as far as the sports side of things, yes, the rugby. $840 on the Targo Smithy to win at 192 and the money keeps rolling in. 750 as well at 172. 700 at 170. I believe they're into about 152 now, a Targo to take out that game. And on the NRL, $600 again on South Sydney to win at 172 And another bet on them, $400 South Sydney to win at 172 And just quickly, a nice multi, 15000 a Canterbury to win the MPC. Cowboys, Eels, Sharks all to win this weekend. And Roosters, 13 or more, Smithy to return 41000 So we wish that punter good luck. Oh, she certainly do. Has to wait a little bit of time for his or her money. But uh, Pip, thanks very much. Have a terrific day. Uh, it's uh, coming up to 11 o'clock here I'll give you a half hour warning of course you know what we're playing for at Stump Smithy at 11.30 $300 first time ever on this show so uh, make sure that uh, you have your fingers on the ready at around 11.29 11.30 between now and then though we're going to have a news break with uh, Araha and then we'll be talking golf with uh, David Bileski developments around the FedEx and of course live golf always topical in this day and age. SENZ. Well, it's only mid-August, but we are down to the business end of the PGA's tour season. 125 players entered the FedEx playoffs last week. Now that's been whittled down to 70 after Will Zalatoris won a three-hole playoff against Stoster and Sepp Stracker to win the St Jude Championship. Next it is the BMW Championship this weekend, and after that, just the top 30 ranked golfers will remain for the season-ending tour championship with a possible $18 million US on the line. So it's now time for us to crunch the golfing numbers with friend of the show, David Bileski. We can check him out on Twitter, AT Deep Dive Golf. Welcome back, uh, David. And one of the reasons we got you back is you successfully predicted Will Zalatoris wasn't far away. You nailed it. Cheers, Timothy. Yeah, no, good to be back on. It was uh, it was an awesome week for the the tips last week. Not only did I have um, Will Zalatoris, I had uh, Colin Morikawa, who was in fifth. And um, perhaps ironically, actually, the the biggest return of the week was on Trey Malinax, who I tipped up at two fifty to one. He finished fifth, so the place money on him um, actually played out um, more than uh, Will Zalatoris as the winner, which isn't quite as sexy, but it, it pays the bills. So no, that's good and. Um, over on the DP World Tour, um, picked Ewan Ferguson as the winner as well. So got a rare double um, transatlantic, which uh, per dollar invested was returning about six sixty-seven to one. So um, very, very good week um, overall. It sure was a terrific week uh, for Zalatoris himself, breaking through, of course, after being threatening for quite some time. Uh, this is a, a young kid, and he is a young kid who believes he's one of the best putters in the world. Now that he's had that problem fixed up. Um, and I guess now the world uh, will be his oyster now that he's broken through. Yeah, absolutely. Look, I mean, Zalatoris has, has taken a lot of criticism um, from from pundits and, and the casual observers um, for some time on the putting stroke. And and don't get me wrong, I mean, you, you do see him on some of these four to six foot putts and, and the stroke does still get quite a bit uh, wobbly on the on the old backswing. So it does uh, make it some uh, some nervy watching if, you, if you're on him. 
Um, but look, I, one of the reasons I, I tipped in um, going into to last week at the St Jude was it's a it's a ball stroke uh, striking paradise, and, and your approach play really matters. And, and on his day, he is the best of the world um, with his irons. Um, combined with the fact that he's he has made this huge improvement with his putter over this last year, we've seen him. Con- continuously uh, contending at, at these majors and at these top events um, and obviously the week before as well he'd actually quite spectacularly fired, fired his caddy midway through the round so instead of his, his old caddy who he'd, he maintained he's very good friends with um, he had a short game coach on the bag last week as well so that was part of the reason as well having the, the short game coach right there helping him read his putts um, and, and it paid off. Okay, the the BMW Championship, of course, which is uh, leg number two of the Triple Crown, as such, plays out at the Wilmington Country Club this week. Um, what type of course is that? What kind of player uh, will will we be factoring in uh, this time around? Bearing in mind the form coming off last week. Yeah, it, it's interesting because it's the first time appearance on on this course, and and there haven't been any other professional tournaments played on this course before. So everybody's going to be having a first look at it, which is quite interesting. It adds an interesting dynamic to the week as well. Um, home course for President Joe Biden as well. It, it's a fairly long test, so it's a par seventy one and seventy five uh, seventy five hundred yards or so on the on the playbook. So um, you, you're going to need to have some distance off the tee, and that that's key um, this week for me when we're looking at the. Par Fours. Three of them are uh, over 490 yards. You've got three long par threes as well, all over 200 yards. So you've got 206 yards, 205, and a 234 yard, um, which has got water short as well on that one. And then the par fives are incredibly long as well. So that's a lot of that yardage for the course. So you've got 582 uh, yard par five. The 12th is 634 yards, so over 600 yards. It's going to be a massive test, and that's got water off the front as well. So I highly doubt you'll see any golfers going for that one in two. Um, then the 14th is 649 yards. Um, you've actually got two par fours below 400 yards on the course as well. So I'm really factoring in the driving distance this week. I think that um, if you can be um, long off the tee, I, I would compare it to like a quail hollow, um, both visually and in terms of the way that the, the card sets up. You've got to move the ball both ways. Um, fairly spacious off the, off the tee, so um, if you do get a little errant, um, that's, that's not necessarily the worst thing in the world. Um, then the approach plays just into these huge, like almost comically large greens. The greens are about 8,100 8, 8, square foot on average. So that's comparable to plantation as some of the biggest greens that we'll see on the course, uh, on the tour all season. So um, in terms of accuracy, the iron's going to be important. Robert Trent Jones loves these um, undulating greens as well. And he, he's famously known for creating these courses which have been appearing at other um, majors as well. So, um, yeah, look, it should be a tougher test than we've perhaps seen at other BMW championships. Um, past winners have all been at minus 20 um, or more. I, I'd probably more see the scoring uh, winning score being somewhere in that minus 16 to minus 18 kind of range, I think, will be um, enough to get the job done. Um, and, and if you recall, Smithy, I don't know if you remember, but um, last time you had me on was the Open, and uh, the, the scoring predictions seemed to go pretty well on that one too. Yep. Bang on, absolutely, right on the money, 20 under. You're absolutely spot on. You're good, you're good, mate, I have to tell you that. Uh, here's the, um, the next thing to talk about for me. Uh, there's 70 players left uh, in the um, the tournament or the tour as such now, heading for that, uh, ultimately, that, that big prize, the FedEx champion. How does it work now for people looking on? I mean, it's not just a case of the top 30 finishes next week that move on, is it? 
the top 30 going through to the next week. Yeah, so the, the FedEx Cup runs all season. It, it's worth noting with these playoff events, they, they get quadruple points. So um, a typical PGA Tour event, the winner will get 500 points, whereas in these playoff events, they'll get 2,000. So, for example, Will Zalatoris last week won the event, and now he's at the top of the FedEx Cup standings. So I, I would liken it to, say, you were following the NFL. You know, you can, you can be the best team on paper all season, you know, go... 16 and over the regular season, um, but you've got to get the job done in the playoffs as well. So Will Zalatoris um, jumped Scotty um, Scheffler um, to go to the top of the standing. So it, it is going to be um, very important how some of those top players play this week and then obviously the, the top 30 next week of the Tour Championship. Um, so essentially that, that that entry to next week, then the, the scorecard is basically um, divvied up and there's kind of a head start for those guys who are ahead on the FedEx Cup. Um, and then whoever wins next week um, takes takes the full shebang and and a cool eighteen million as well. Well, Cameron Smith has already qualified for uh, the last thirty because of the fantastic season that he had. Uh, of course, um, culminating him him being the Open champion as such. But um, he's pulled out. Um, do you read anything into that? He's uh, citing a hip hip uh, injury. Do you read anything into that? Bearing in mind. There is all sorts of speculation about his future uh, immediately following the FedEx Cup. Yeah, I, I don't know how much of it is uh, is a hip injury or the fact that his wallet's just gotten a whole lot heavier, according to reports, and, and maybe that's uh, weighing down his uh, his wallet lately. Um, look, uh, for me, I think I think as as a as an observer, I would say that. The fact that he's so high up the FedEx Cup ratings, I'd say you do have to give some credence to the fact that there probably is some accuracy to the injury reports. I, I don't see him, you know, I, I think it's, uh, I'm not sure if you've watched the, the press conference when he, he was asked about the, the Live Golf stuff, um, and he gave perhaps the worst answer that he could have given. Um, I think it's very, very obvious that he that he is heading that way. Um but look, I, I think despite all that, the fact he's so high up the FedEx Cup ranking, rankings, it, it would have to be, you know, a fairly serious injury for him to actually withdraw at this kind of stage of proceedings. Um, so, look, I, I think there's probably some other factors at play. Don't get me wrong, but but I would say there's there's probably some substance to, to the injury. Okay, right. Um, well, he would have been at this point uh, the number one player on Trevor Immelman's President's Cup World Team. Um, what will be the ramifications then if he announces? Uh, will he be out of that? Um, and, of course, uh, Inwoman has to come up with a team pretty shortly because uh, the President's Cup is uh, right one month away at Quail Hollow. It is, yeah. I mean, I mean, it's a PGO Tour event, so um, he'll be out. I mean, essentially, if he if he plays any live event prior to the President's Cup, which, which according to the rumour, and, and the Telegraph is the first one reporting, they've been pretty accurate on it so far, to be fair. Um, if he does tee up at that event, he'll be out. Um, but in the press conference, he was adamant that he'll be, be playing, so it's going to be interesting to see how it unfolds. Right, OK. Uh, and your perspective, your perspective here, is golf and, and the PGA and the DP at this stage missing those players that have gone? Did you watch last week, um, I Yes, I did. Yeah, I, I watched quite a lot of it, actually. In fact, I, I was enthralled because mm. I did have a little uh, a little wager on Zalatoris, so I was glued, to, to be perfectly oh, honest. Yeah. Well, I mean, look, I watching it for me, just the reaction... The vibrancy of the crowd, the the emotion from the winner, um, you know that last hour of golf was some of the best golf that we've seen all season. 
It, it really was. I, I don't think that the two is missing them. I, I really don't. I mean, Liv still is not getting the viewership that it needs to be sustainable by any means. Um, you know, and and you know, and I've spoken to, to you about this before, but the, the events for Liv are just these empty, hollow events with no soul, no meaning. There's there's no history to the tournament. There's no legacy being built on. Like, you know, and and for me as a golf fan, I don't care what the players get. Paid, I, I, I care about that history and the legacy and the prestige that comes with it. So, uh, look, I mean, the, the more players that go, yes, perhaps it becomes more of a factor, but we've got some really great rising stars coming through on both tours. Um, you know, when we're looking at the players like the Davis Rileys or the, the Cameron Youngs, you know, with the right marketing, those players can be stars as well, and you do need the platform to, be, to launch and become a star um, in the golfing world as well. So, Look, I think if they start getting, you know, some of the Rory McIlroy's or the Justin Thomas's or those, you know, truly elite names, then then it's game over. Um, but you know, there is there is so much depth in the world of professional golf at the moment that I still think that that power lies with the PGA Tour and with the DP World Tour. In, in terms of the Presidents Cup and uh, and women's selections for the world team as such. Uh, say Cameron Smith was to go and he was number one, that would bump another player who's further down up uh, in the terms of a chance of playing. I think the top eight uh, in the listings or in the rankings qualify automatically. Uh, and then after that, of course, after the BMW. Um, but that leaves Ryan Fox in a fairly interesting situation and a possible selection. Yeah, potentially. I mean, look, he's had such a great year, hasn't he? And, and I think that he'd be, be a really strong pick. Um, for Wimbledon to make. Um, look, I, I, I do think that the US have the upper hand. Um, I think the the depth of talent coming out of the States is still just phenomenal and, and it is streaks ahead of what the international team's going to be presenting. But, you know, there's some there's some really talented names in there. I mean, Joaquin Neiman um, potentially, um, you know, rising star as well, um, could potentially be top five in the world. Um you know, come next year. So there, there's some really big names. Ryan Fox is, is right up there in the rankings as well. I, I think that his season's been absolutely phenomenal. Um, be be um, great to see him on the team and, and be a great watch. I, I'd, I'd still give the, the upper hand to the US team, but um, but no, it should be made, made for an intriguing contest. And, and as you said, say, depends on uh, and what happens with Cam Smith, whether he's teeing up um, at the next live event or not, whether he'll be there. Mm, okay, uh, can we uh, just look uh, at a, a couple of other matters of, of interest as well, uh, David? Uh, Henrik Stenson, of course, mm. uh, was sacked as the Ryder Cup captain for uh, Europe. Uh, the, uh, in the next Ryder Cup, of course, um, went on and duly won the first live event he played in. Uh, not much uh, notice about that, not much um, uh, mm. palaver about it, about it either. But what was announced, of course, is Luke Donald as his replacement. A good, good replacement? I think so. I look. I, I mean, the worrying thing at the moment is that for live golf is almost becoming like the 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 senior tour of the DP World Tour. I mean, we're seeing these guys like you know Lee Westwood and Poulter and Henrik Sensen and these European players, on, on mainly, um, are going across to to live and earning the big bucks. It's sort of the the twilight of their careers. So um, it, it was interesting when Stenson went because of, it is actually starting to become a problem for, for the European team if they haven't got that many captains left because all these guys who are at the end of their careers or, or finished playing um, have moved across to, to live as a result. So, um, look, I, I, I think, you know, in, 
in his press conferences, Luke Donald was very firm in his stance. I don't see him going across whatsoever. Um, I think he's a great, great captain. Um, I, I like as well that he's still kept Eduardo Molinari um, as vice captain as well. Um, Molinari um, is a bit of an idol of mine because I love my stats and my analytics and, and all the numbers behind the game and what makes um, golfers perform as well, um, which is a big part of um, Molinari's stance. He, he works with a lot of other players um, aside from his professional golf career. Um, in terms of the golf stats and analysis that comes with um, the data as well, so he was he was pretty fundamental in Fitzpatrick's um, success this year in terms of developing his game and, and recording all his strokes as well. So I think um, Donald combined with Molinari actually makes a really strong team in terms of leadership and and um, yeah, looking forward to see who makes the final selection and who be teeing it up in Rome next year. Because there's a bunch of blokes that we haven't really talked about, David, who um, who fly under the radar here, but will be absolutely smiling over both sides of their faces at the moment, and they're the caddies on the live circuit. They don't get any blame for anything. Um, they don't get uh, ostracised publicly like the players do as such, but I would imagine they're still on some relatively healthy money. Yeah, I mean, my understanding is the typical rate's about a 10% of the paycheck, um, so I don't know if they get much of the the guaranteed contracts that um, some of these players are getting, sort of the the hundreds of millions um, that they're getting just to come across. But no, I'm, I'm very happy happy if the, the loopers are, are getting involved as well and earning um, some decent paychecks too, because um, they, they often deserve it. Oh, I'd imagine if you, you make that commitment and say, yeah, I'll come with you, and you say, well, okay, I'll give you 5% of uh, my sign-on fee. Goodness me, that's not so bad for um, picking up a bag and carrying it around, even though they are quite heavy. There is a very important meeting uh, involving uh, the PGA players, though, um, and that is going to be chaired by the sound of it by one Tiger Woods, who won't be playing, of course, in the end-of-season championship, but has, uh, is flying in. We understand that it might even be today that he's going to get the PGA players together and just... Um, I guess, uh, talk about the future of the PGA and, and their, their part in it. Yeah, it was interesting. I just I saw footage earlier today of him um, arriving on his private jet with um, Ricky Fowler as well, which which was interesting in itself because Ricky Fowler's name's been thrown about quite a bit in terms of going across to live, and, and he's had a pretty dreadful two seasons, so he was sort of a prime candidate for for what live is targeting, which is you know a marketer's dream, but not necessarily at their the peak of their powers and not interested in competing anymore. Um, so look, it will be interesting to see what comes out of it. I mean, look, Tiger's still the the name in golf and, and what he says still still matters. So um, I know Liv was incredibly disappointed that they threw um, something in the vicinity of $800 million at him and he still didn't bite. And, um, you know, I think it, it speaks a lot to um, to what the PGA Tour and these events have meant to Tiger and, and him being able to build his, his career. I mean, uh, looking look as, as an observer, you know, some of these golfers now, what they're earning on the PGA Tour is a result of the Tiger Woods era. You know, this is what Tiger created and built. He made the PGA Tour what it is today because of his success. He brought so many new fans to the game that the prize money just increased exponentially and now these golfers can earn what they they had they have been able to um, and and that's still increasing to this day. I mean, it's it's a significant amount of money that they're earning. Um, so let's not forget that that he brings so much respect from all of the golfers. I mean, for many of these young guys, they grew up, you know, as 
six, seven, eight-year-olds watching Tiger win the Masters and, and dreaming of um, capturing those moments. So it should be a timely reminder for all of them of, of what really matters. And, um, you know, when you're, when you're earning 50-odd million dollars in your, your career, I don't think you're doing too badly. No, you're not doing too badly. And I think um, in, a, in a roundabout sort of a way, the LIV players who have created their reputations on the PGA as such built up um, built up that um, asset, if you like, under their name, have got a hell of a lot to thank Tiger Woods for as well, but I bet they don't. Absolutely. I mean, that, that's the point, is that they've, they've come through the ranks, they've used the PGA Tour or the DP World Tour as their platform to become known as players to then be able to move across to live. So, so they've been incredibly privileged to play golf through this era post-Tiger Woods to be able to boost their profile, to be able to go across to the tour. I mean, the, we're, we're not at a stage, I mean, it's so early in Live Golf's um, appearance that, you know, no young player is going to go and play on the Live Tour and make a name for themselves. You know, they have to start on the PGA Tour, the DP World Tour, actually build up this reputation and then hoping that Greg Norman gives them a call with um, some of um, Prince Mohammed bin Salman's money. Um, so, yeah, look, absolutely, they, they need to be thanking Tiger Woods for what he's done for the tour and the fact that they can build themselves up and, and they do need that platform and and you know I think you've hit the nail on the head with that I think that's that's a lot of the messaging that's coming out from you know Jay Monaghan um, who who leads the the PGA Tour and is chairman of the the, the board um, you know that these events in terms of a platform to players is so important in terms of boosting their profile you know they owe a lot to the tour and and for these players to go and play on live and then threaten lawsuits and take them to court because they still want to have the benefit of playing on the PGA Tour is a bit of a joke really it's like you can't have your cake and eat it too if you want to go and take the money go for it but you're not going to use the PGA Tour or the DP World Tour as your platform um, to market yourself and still build your profile it doesn't work that way no, and it shouldn't either absolutely David uh, David Bileski you can catch him at Twitter AT Deep Dive Golf David always a pleasure to, to talk to you uh, and to hear your insights look forward to uh, the BMW this weekend. Thank you. Pleasure, Smithy. Thank you. Yeah, cheers, David Bileski there. <clears throat> a lot of people uh, think they know a lot about golf. Uh, he does know a lot about golf, and uh, that's why we get him on. Fantastic. And why he's a great tipster, too. That last week was phenomenally successful. Winners on both tours, out and out double. Uh, 11.24 here on SENZ. Brilliant. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Uh, time for some text, actually. Uh, hi, Smithy. Test cricket is the best. I don't watch T20. I can't be bothered with it. I do watch the odd one day. Uh, longer form of the game is the best. Cricket and whites, red ball, can't beat it. Cheers, Di, who is a CD supporter. I'm right with you there, Di. Absolutely. 100% with you. Uh, morning, Smithy. My thoughts on the All Black situation. Foster has been set up to fail. The poor bloke hasn't had the backing from New Zealand rugby at all. Constantly under review. The poor bloke is walking on eggshells. The way they, Mark Robinson and Brackets, has handled this situation is appalling. And I really feel for Foster, but he has to go. It should never, he should never have got the job for this. Uh, and, and it should never have got to this either. Jason Ryan has been in there for only a couple of weeks. Look at the impact he has had already made on our forward pack. Imagine what sort of impact Razor could have on this team leading into the World Cup. We need to make a decision now and stick with it. And going forward, we need to back our coaches uh, how can a team play with confidence? The board doesn't even have the confidence in the coach. Just my two cents worth. Sean, 
Uh, hey, Smithy, uh, this is from Graham. Yes, uh, Graham, you didn't let me talk about Foster. Uh, he will keep his uh, jo- job, but sadly it's the wrong decision. The board gave him the job, so if they sack him, they are admitting they got it wrong. If you go back to last weekend's game, in the last 15 minutes of the 14 players on the field, eight of them were Crusaders, and they took control of the game and won it sadly. If Foster stays, Kane will stay as captain and number seven. Barrett will be back at 10, and the best fullback in the country will be playing on the wing. Jordan, it's all a bit sad, really, as a sports fan. Uh, and just the last one uh, for this little bracket. Uh, hi, Smithy. For me, the major takeaway from the Foster situation is the bureaucratic bungling to the point I now have great respect for Foster, whatever decision is made. In the same way, there was a bureaucratic mismanagement over Ross Taylor's cricket captaincy. But if Mike Kesson had had the courage of his convictions at the interview, it might never have happened been or been an issue. All that was required was for him to state that Brendan would be his captain, which is every coach's right. It appears he can't have insisted on that, but if he had, the change of captaincy wouldn't have appeared personal where Ross was concerned. Cheers, Margaret. Interesting thoughts, Margaret. Really appreciate you uh, texting in. Right, it is uh, 11.31, a tad late for the news, but uh, we've got uh, big fish to fry and uh, it's in terms of the stump smithy. So get on the line now, 0800 150811 and your opportunity now exists to win 300 yes $300 worth of uh, betting voucher from the TAB. I'm not 100% sure on this, I know Lotto's $8 million but I think this is the second biggest cash prize on offer on this Wednesday. Ian Smith's had a good match here. Stumped by Smithy. Ian Smith really is top class at his job. It is time for the big one here on ESCNZ Mornings with Ian Smith. $300 TAB bonus bet. That is what is up for grabs after a successful run of stompings by our man Ian Smith. Smithy, before we get into it, how are you feeling? Could we get to 350 or are you in a generous mood here? Well, I'm a bit nervous. I'm a little bit nervous. Uh, so um, I'm not in the generous mood, not by any stretch of the imagination. <laughs> I have no idea what the categories are, and I have no idea what form we're in, and I have no idea who we're up against. So enlighten me at, in at least uh, one of those. Who's who's first up this morning with the crack at the jackpot? Well, first of all, we've had a couple of people ask us for advice on uh, how they can crack the batting lineup here on Stumped. Make sure you call uh, at 11.29 or maybe a little bit before you hear Smithy telling you to call in. Uh, This definitely rewards the more frequent listeners, let's say that. Uh, First at the crease today, Smithy, I believe potentially a new entrant, Jason from Auckland. Come in, mate. Hey, mate. How are you? Yeah, good. Is this your first time playing Stumped? Yeah, first time playing. I normally listen to the podcast like later in the the afternoon, so never really listening live, but... 300 bucks, so it'll be the time to start. Oh, I love it, bro. I love it. So, so you know how to play the game? Yep. All right, so we'll get into it, Smithy. Jason, these are the topics for you to pick from today, Jason. Cricket, rugby, or basketball? Well, I'm not going to go first two against Smithy, so let's go basketball. <laughs> Strategy, the name of the game. Let's go. Although... We'll see. We'll see. A lot on the line here. There's a lot on the line. I love it. This is amazing. All right. First question for you, Jason. Which team did the Auckland Tuatara beat in overtime to make it through to the 2020 South NBL Grand Final? 
One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Smithy, over to you. Well, it was Phil Jones, I think, this morning said it was uh, for him the match of the finals playoff series. And, and I'm pretty sure he's talking about uh, the Tour Tower beating the Ears in overtime. Just a couple of chips down the wicket, right in the slot, and away it goes. Yeah, sure was. It was my game of the finals as well. As amazing it was to watch the Otago Nuggets win the thing, that game in overtime was unbelievable. So, Jason, hard luck to you. Your first time playing, call again, please, because we love to have new people giving it a crack. But you are back to the pavilion. Up next, Jamie from Nelson. Good morning, team. How you feeling, Jamie, mate? Now you've had you've you've had a crack at this before, I know, Jamie, and you've you've been okay, haven't you? Oh, I was pretty middling, Smithy. You're a pretty pretty uh, formidable opponent, mate. So um, try our luck. Ooh. Okay. Good luck. Basketball is the flavour of the day. So, uh, what have we got lined up for question number two, Logan? Mutual respect between the competitors here. I like that. Second question for you, Jamie. Who was named MVP in that Sales NBL Grand Final? Oh, Jesus. Uh, Timmons. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Not slamming Sam Timmons, no, the captain of, of the Otago Nuggets, but he had a great final series all the same. Smithy, over to you. Should get this, but won't. I should get this, but I will not. Um, was it McCulloch? One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Nico McCulloch, guard for the Otago Nuggets, also an awesome guest. Smithy and Jamie, the correct answer I was looking for was Keith Williams. 34 points in that grand final for them to win it. 81-73. So, Jamie, what that means is you're still in line for the $300 TAB bonus bet. We're down to the last question here. Corey Webster played for the Franklin Bulls in the Sows NBL this season. Which Aussie NBL team will he play for this season? Uh, Perth. That's a couple of chips down the wicket. Oh, no, no. Right in the slot, and away it goes. Oh, it's gone. It, it, it it's is, gone. It's gone. Yeah, <laughs> I knew it too. I knew it. I knew it. I had it. Oh. I had it too. My God, I'm Jamie. Oh, oh you mate, I'm the moon, Thank you. <laughs> I just put all my, I should have known better, but I just put my whole TAB account on South Africa last weekend, so I'm sitting on the big fat zero, so this is well timed. Thank you so much. <laughs> You're not now, mate. You're sitting on 300. Absolutely brilliant result for you, mate. I'm very happy for you. It had to go at some stage. Uh, and I'm glad it's gone to you. Um, and I'm glad that's gone to you on the basis that you got the question right rather than I got it wrong. So fully deserved, mate. Um, enjoy. Turn it into many, many hundreds of dollars, please, on our behalf. And uh, have a terrific rest of your day and a great weekend. Thank you, mate. Likewise. Thanks, guys. Cheers. Uh, Jamie from Nelson. He is the victor here on uh, SENZ Stump Smithy. We'll start again uh, when we can. It might not be tomorrow. Depends on the cricket, of course. It might well be tomorrow. Um, and I'll tell you what we'll do. And if it's not tomorrow, we won't put 100 bucks up on Friday just for the heck of it since we can't play tomorrow. Uh, so at least you've got something to play for going into the weekend. But it won't be anything more than 100 because Jamie from Nelson has taken the 300. Hardiest congratulations to Jamie. 
Uh, and uh, stay on the line, Jamie Bryan will make sure that that vast amount of money gets to you and your account as soon as possible. We shall be back very shortly talking to our very good friend, Andy Thompson, out of the West Coast. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Well, every Wednesday between 12 and 1, you can listen to Rural Roundup. It is a show brought to you uh, here on SENZ by Andy Thompson. Andy operates, of course, uh, out of the coast, and uh, listeners are able to tune in there and catch up with uh, everything that is current uh, and pending uh, in the rural community in particular. But, of course, uh, as we welcome Andy this morning, um, of course, uh, it's the weather that's the talking point on the coast. Andy, what's happening down there? G'day, Smithy. Yeah, well, for my sins, mate, um, as soon as I finish my show, I'm heading off to Hokitika. I'm currently the um, Civil Defence Controller for Westland, so I can speak with uh, some authority on it. Uh, the weather's not great, put it that way. Um, thank God that yesterday we managed to uh, get a preemptive or a pre-declaration for a, uh, a Civil Defence emergency, which basically mm. unlocks a whole lot of abilities to get a whole lot of infrastructure in place. So the really worst of the weather hasn't really hit yet uh, on the coast. It's pretty bad up in Tarkaka uh, and Golden Bay at the moment. Those guys up there are getting smashed. So we've got uh, New Zealand Defence Force, we've got Army guys here, we've got extra uh, FENS guys, we've got uh, extra police, um, we've been able to put all of our uh, agencies and services on standby and we're expecting it to come. I'll give you some numbers. Currently uh, over the last 24 hours down in France Joseph they've had 170 to 180 mils. We're expecting that um, for the next three or four days in a row. Uh, we did think we were going to get a break uh, on mm. Friday, but it's all pushed forward, so we're just going to get hit for the next four or f- for the four days. Uh, in Hokitika last night, they had 80 mils. Uh, that didn't even touch the side, Smithy. Um, the Hokitika mm. River's running about 5.1 metres. That's just the first alarm. So at the moment, um, we're waiting for the worst of it to come, but it's going to be the cumulative effect over the next three to four days that is really where the problems are going to occur. So you uh, roll up to Hokitika, as you say, straight after the show, and in and, and, and your role as controller, what decisions will you have to make? Evacuation-type decisions or what? So currently we've got the EOC operational, so there's plenty of staff there. Um, yeah, those decisions come in as intelligence comes in. We call it intel. I've got a, a logistics centre, I've got a planning centre, I've got an intel centre, I've got a welfare centre and public information. And as we get all of that information in, uh, then we then make decisions on where to deploy assets if they're required and also what information we need to get to the public. So it's really, really important um, that we're up and ready to go. We stood up at uh, 7 o'clock this morning spent yesterday afternoon mm-hmm. down there um, putting all the preliminary stuff in place, getting the rosters in place. It's just a Unfortunately, it's a little bit of a well-oiled machine, Smithy. We've been onto this for a wee while, mm. and they keep coming. I was on Radio New Zealand earlier, and do, and she said, "You know what? What? You know how come this keeps happening?" And I said, "Well, I'm not going to tell you it's climate change. All I can tell you, because I'm not a climate scientist, all I can tell you that the frequency is increasing, and as the frequency increases, the severity is increasing. Just ask the people up in Westport; they're the ones." You know, July last year was unprecedented, February was unprecedented, or twice in February, and now we've Mm. got an event which is somewhere in between the two of them. So four times in 12 months? Yeah, you tell me. No, well, I can't can't even imagine it. We we moan about a downpour here in Hawke's Bay because it might affect (laughs) some of the vines or the fruits or the grapes or something like that, or a frost every now and then, but... I can't imagine uh, what you guys are going through. And, uh, of course, you'll have uh, emergency services um, at the ready. You, you spoke about the, the Army being uh, at your disposal, but the emergency services be on high alert. 
Oh, absolutely. So briefing yesterday with all the uh, Fens guys, um, which are fantastic. Those volunteers, you know, the, 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 the brigades, local brigades are just amazing. They, they're ready to go all night. They'll do evacuations if we need to. Uh, we always have particular concern about our rest homes, our elderly, um, our areas mm. of, you know, we're, we're slightly lower socioeconomic groups. We, we put time and effort into them. The interesting one is Franz Josef itself with the Waiho River, and it's well documented in the storm uh, a couple of years ago when the Waiho River bridge got washed away. I was actually, I was in the EOC that day, Smithy, and I was uh, got the cop who was there. I said, turn that camera around, and we watched it go live. It was quite a memorable event, actually, watching it uh, on a screen. A couple of years before that, we had the um, the hotel down there get completely inundated. But what we've got down there is we've got um, a couple of uh, so got some hydrologists, but also some really, really experienced locals. We do all this modelling, but nothing beats boots on the ground. These guys down there, they go out at 1, 3 o'clock in the morning and physically check the river levels in the stock banks. They're not waiting for a alarm to go off. They're not waiting for a um, uh, a model or something digital to come through. They'll actually go out in the middle of the night and have a look at it and make sure their communities are safe. And that's what's so important about um, having experienced people. Andy, you've got your show coming up very shortly. I was all set to talk to you about uh, the good news for PGG rights and with a record profit or the not so good news about global dairy prices falling for the fifth straight auction but I imagine you might cover some of that in your show. What have you got lined up? Well look, a slightly different topic. Yeah, the, the PGG are going really well, I must say and uh, they, as opposed to a couple of the other uh, farming uh, you know, b- organisations like that are not going so well uh, but PGG have stuck to their knitting. They, they're a bit of an outstanding story actually and, and uh, mm. the support they're getting from their farmers is, is testament. So good old PGG. Uh, yeah, the, the GDT auction fell for the fifth time overnight. Uh, um, yeah, we'll talk a little bit about that on the show. Actually, I've got some uh, got some notes about that. Just don't have it. What we are going to talk about, Smithy, is are you a big fan of um, Impossible Burger or the uh, Beyond Meat Burgers, alternative proteins? Oh, I haven't tried them. I'm sorry. I'm still a bit traditional. I've heard do you about want, them. Do you want a piece of advice? Them. Do you want a piece of yeah. advice? Don't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're not good. <laughs> <laughs> okay, thank you. Thanks yeah. for that. Oh, thanks for that, Andy. Hey, look, uh, I'll leave it at that because I know you've got plenty to do in the last minutes of prep and that. Uh, my message is to stay safe and stay um, stay dry, mate, so we can talk to you next week as well and you can continue your fine work. Uh, have a good have a good show and uh, uh, we're thinking of you and uh, your uh, other duties later this afternoon. Thank you, mate. Appreciate it, mate. Thanks. See you, Smithy. Yeah, it is Andy Thompson there uh, and, uh, well, all that rainfall. Could you think of those numbers are just absolutely frightening. It is 11.51 here on SENZ. Uh, We're going to catch up with Stephen McIver as we head into the afternoon. Here's some tips for maintaining your Trex deck. Um, Occasionally wash it with some soapy water or a pressure cleaner. Trex composite decking is low maintenance and won't fade, splinter or warp. Trex, the world's number one decking brand.